0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin. He is the director at the Darren Jacklin Group of Companies. He also has several other companies and philanthropies we'll be speaking about. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Darren.
2: I'm grateful to be here,
1: Jordan. Just give us a brief, uh, we're gonna go into it in more detail, but just kind of a brief history of how you've gotten to where you are today.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of adversities, failures, challenges, and setbacks. And through that, I've learned a lot of blessings and lessons in my life that are practical today. And so a lot of trial and error in the early days growing up. But, uh, you know, I grew up in a very unique backstory. Um, You know, failed grade one of public school, misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability it was determined by the public school system to put me into special education. So from grade one all the way through to grade 12, I never went to regular public school, special education. So, uh, you know, I learned much differently than the academic world taught me. And so uh, today I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor and a philanthropist. And so a lot of that came from childhood trauma growing up and uh, not being like the rest of the other kids. And so I learned much differently, but I learned very practical structures and systems and strategies that I use today that have uh, – Gone to achieve a lot of success today. But in the early days, I had a lot of failures and a lot of setbacks.
1: So, why don't kind of talk about the problem that you're trying to solve? Is it uh, motivation? Is it lack of direction? What you bring to the audiences you speak to, what, what are the issues you're trying to solve?
2: Yeah, so in the early days, it was not being good enough and feeling stupid and not worthy. Uh, That was the early days, that was the negative self-talk and the internal dialogue. Today, it's really about uh, self-actualization of human growth and potential, and that's why I'm hiking Mount Kilimanjaro here in July of this year, not only for my personal journey of self-actualization, but also to raise awareness on child and human sex trafficking around the world. It's a very rapid, lucrative business, and my wife and I created an international foundation called Link Foundation, we've committed $100 million over the next decade towards global philanthropy projects. And so we're, uh, we're not gonna stop human and child sex traffic and organ harvesting, but we're gonna put a lot of speed bumps in the way to slow them down.
1: One of the big projects uh, you're behind is called Elevate to Educate. Explain yes. what that's about.
2: Yeah, so during COVID-19, during the global pandemic and the lockdown, um, I realized I was out of integrity with my life in regards to my health and well being. I was fat and overweight when I look at myself in the mirror, front or on the side. And I was never a person who was into sports or athletics. I was never a person who, you know, ever went to the gym. That was, not, I was just not that guy. I just didn't identify to that person. And so I reached out to a couple of buddies of mine during the lockdown and I said, listen, I've got to get my weight under management here. I, you know, I'm putting on dress shirts and I'm blowing buttons here. I can't put my pants up and I'm traveling all the time for business meetings and i'm eating the buffets and eating the restaurant and the hotel food and i've got to do something about this and um so i started hiking in vancouver british columbia canada and i really struggled jordan in the first times i went out like i was exhausted i would stop and go and stop and go and in my mind i'm like i just cannot quit i got to keep going i don't want to call search and rescue but i got to keep going so i i I put into my calendar i created a structure where i start to do one hike a week for at least an hour and today I hike about a hundred kilometers a week, 60 miles a week of hiking. It's all structured in my calendar. I live by my calendar. And so we created E2E because what happened was I released 43 pounds in weight in one year from hiking consistently. And I documented everything on my social media channels. And I have a huge, have a big following around the world of people that uh, follow me directly and indirectly. And people were reaching out to me through private messaging saying, Oh my gosh, what's the secret formula to how you've released 43 pounds in weight? And I said, I created a structure. I put it into my calendar. I set alarms and I joined a hiking group and I created a hiking group and and we did this. So E2E is called Elevate to Educate. And I've had people from all over North America want to come out hiking with me from all walks of life, from beginners to CEOs, to Olympic athletes, to celebrities, to sports stars, to ultra marathon runners. I've had everything come out with me hiking uh, throughout North America. So I had a number of people on these private, uh, you know, when we we're hiking, we're doing trail talk and people are like, you know, why don't you create this into a movement, into a mission where you can brand and expand E2E to go ahead and serve people. So what we do now is we pick places across the United States, America, and Canada through Elevate to Educate. Our website's hikingfundraiser.com. People come out from all different walks of life. They pay a small registration fee, just like you would for a marathon or an Ironman or a Tough Mutter. And then we collect that money. We give you a tax receipt because Link Foundation is an international foundation in the United States of America and Canada. We're registered. And then what we do is on social media, we show you the money that you contributed by your hard-earned dollars and our sponsorship. We build schools over in Africa. So right now we're in Liberia, West Africa. We have a thing called the Link Leadership Academy. We have over 300 children right now going to school from preschool to grade six, for the first time ever in their lives, that these children actually be able to go and get an education because they're the next generation. And as we globalize with technology today, we're a one world today. We're a one planet today. We're a global village today. And as technology advances and Internet advances around the world and second, third world, we're becoming more globalized in terms of a global village. And so um, E2E is really about bringing people out It's a community, it's fun, it's networking, it's collaboration, and it's also about longevity. People get a chance to have a lot of conversations. And, you know, I wrote an international book during COVID called Until I Become, and one of the things I talk about in Until I Become, my book, is as human beings, all we are is a network of conversations. Anything that you really, really, really want in your life is going to come from having conversations with strangers. And so the thing is, I always encourage people, whatever you want or whatever you're seeking, or whatever you're lacking in your life, you know, if you want to start dating, you want to make more money, you want a better relationships, you want to travel, you got to lean into the conversations with people who are already living the ideal lifestyle that you want to create for yourself or your family, because we're just a network of conversations. So Elevate to Educate is really activating people to come out and have a network of conversations, have some fun support Link Foundation, Link Leadership Academy, get a chance to network and collaborate like minded people. And then those financial dollars that we collect, we then build a school for the most impoverished people on the planet. And we document this all on our social media channels so people get a chance to be a part of something and get their fingerprints on something to be a part of a legacy. And it's just, uh, it's it's like a prairie fire. It's just cut on. And we've got a lot of people championing it, supporting it now. And uh, it's just and really inspiring what's happening. So COVID-19 the lockdown was a real blessing because we turned a crisis into an opportunity and now we're serving people and making a huge difference in terms of creating a rippled impact and transforming the human spirit and people are having a lot of fun. And so I invite people, if you're listening, if you like to hike or know some of the hikes, have them come out and join us. And in three to five years, we're going to expand this internationally. We'll be a a global movement with this as well around the world in different countries and cities and continents. And uh, I'm excited to get people out there and hiking and having fun having inspiring conversations, and supporting a great cause, Link Foundation, and making a difference in people's lives and creating a rippled impact.
1: And so the website people can find out more is hikingfundraiser.com. What do they find
3: there?
2: Yeah, so what it is, it's it's a landing page right now, and that that page is always unfolding right now. So people go to hikingfundraiser.com. You're going to see right now we have an upcoming hike in June in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And over the next uh, over the month of May, our team is going to be working on uh, putting together a lot more stuff on hikingfundraising.com for the remainder of 2023 and also 2024. So it, it's constantly unfolding and, and developing um, this mission and movement with E2E. But really, uh, we're, 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 we go pick hiking trails throughout the United States and Canada that are safe, and uh, we bring people out from all walks of life to come out hiking, and then we do other fun activities as well. Sometimes a surprise. We like to surprise people, but that surprise, they're having a lot of fun. You're totally safe, but you have a lot of fun, and we create memorable, lasting life experiences. So it's kid-friendly, it's family-friendly, it's coworker friendly and we invite people to come out and uh, have a lot of fun. It's, It's something that people will do that's an epic experience that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. We like to create lasting, memorable, magical moments while supporting the great cause and making a difference. Great. Tell us a little bit more about the book
1: you came out with, Until I Become. You talked a little bit about the conversations. What What is the point of that Until I Become book?
2: Yeah, great question. So I had no interest for many years to ever write a book. In fact, uh, I toured a number of years ago with Mark Victor Hansen, who was the co author and co founder of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He sold over 500 million copies of that book with his partner, Jack Canfield. And Mark bugged me years ago when we were touring across Canada. He says, You know, you should write a book. And I said, Mark, I have no interest. And I had all these book publishers over the years want me to write a book, and I had no interest. And then during the global pandemic of COVID-19, um, I've been journaling for 30 years of my life. It's something I just do every day, consistently as a non-negotiable habit. And my wife, Tatiana, she's got three academic degrees. She was a high school teacher for 35 years. She runs Link Foundation. She's got a master's degree in curriculum. And she was going through my private journals with me during the lockdown. She said, Darren, it would be a disservice to humanity if you didn't share some of these life lessons and systems and strategies and practical knowledge in your private conversations, in your journals, if you didn't pay it forward and pass it on. So we hired a team virtually during COVID. We jumped onto Zoom video conferencing over 10 months, we did uh, many, many hours of interviewing. And so Until I Become is really a book. It's less than a hundred pages. It's no fluff, no fill. It's a practical book. It's an international bestselling book now. Uh, people... You know, companies have ordered 500 copies, 50 copies for their coworkers and colleagues and, and and people in their organizations. But the book is really about how to overcome adversities, failures, challenges, setbacks. But it's a practical book. It's not a knowledge book. It's not a theoretical book. It's a book of you know some practical things on how to help people. And uh, you know, people do a bit of research and see all the reviews online on Amazon or the various different websites. On it's it's amazing how this book. And that's really what. Until I Become was about was a book that I wanted to – I agreed with my team. I said, listen, when I write this book on one condition, I want this book to be a lasting book that will be in families, households, a decade, 20, 30 years from now. I want this to be a book. When people buy it, they say, my children have to read this book. My employees have to read this book. I want to show this to other people. And that was the thing is I wanted to create a ripple of impact with this book. I wanted to have a practical book of somebody like myself who grew up in special education. Who was once homeless, who once lived on the streets, who was once on welfare, who became a multimillionaire, who's been to NASDAQ three times now to ring the closing bell at NASDAQ, who helped, you know, serve on a board of directors of a startup company that's now a multi-billion dollar company, who's committed to giving away $100 million in the next 10 years. And, you know, if you look at me statistically, who's climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, I was fat and overweight three years ago. I was someone you never would have bet on to ever climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So the odds were always stacked against me. But I've overcome those odds through structures and systems and processes. And I want to share that with the world. And so to me, until I become as really a legacy project to really pay it forward and pass it on. And, you know, I have had a lot of adversities and failures and challenges. And through that, a lot of dark moments of knowing how to pay my bills on time. And, you know, gosh, am I going to go bust or bankrupt? And I had a lot of private conversations in my journals. And so I'm very vulnerable and I'm authentic. But I put all my cards on the table and until I become. And so you get the real authentic, true self of, you know, what does it take to achieve success and however you define success on your terms as a human being, everybody's different, how they define success. But um, I I had a focus group that reviewed the book uh, before it came out publicly. And, um, you know, I chose really cynical negative people that would never read the book and it came back in terms of rave reviews because they love the authenticity, the vulnerability, but the practicality of it. And I have people who have MBAs from Harvard Stanford, Yale University the United States, who come back and said, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going to get a formal MBA. I learned more practically in your book until I become that I did get a four-year degree and paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt.
1: Very good indeed. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin. Uh, he is uh, the director at Darren Jacklin uh, Group of Companies. Uh, he also runs this hiking Uh, fundraiser hikingfundraiser.com and you can also see more at his website darrenjacklin.com
0: we'll be back after this nobody likes the guy who says I told you so the guy in 1991 who said to you invest in the internet it's going to be huge or the guy in 1997 who said come on this is going to be big they call it social media and the guy in 2009 who said I'm telling you man crypto is real now I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one.
3: It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin. Uh, He is the director at the Darren Jacklin Group of Companies. Uh, He also has a philanthropy relating to hiking called Hiking fundraiser.com, and you can find out more at his website, darrenjacklin.com. Welcome back to the show, Darren.
2: Grateful to be here.
1: One thing you do in the real estate area is what you call philanthropy investing, where people can get double-digit returns backed by real estate while still helping families. Explain how that works.
2: Yeah, so I'll give you a bunch of numbers first of all. So in the United States of America, 78% of the American population live paycheck to paycheck. 78%. 78%. And 51%, 51% of the United States population did not qualify for a mortgage. And so there has to be alternative ways to help immigrants into the United States. We all have bad luck in our lives, whether it's we go through a divorce, a separation, a bankruptcy, uh, we miss a couple of bill payments, it affects our credit score with, you know, um, the different credit score companies. We all have things that go on through our life. Sometimes life is, you know, peaks and valleys, it's like a roller coaster, so what philanthropy investing is it's something I learned a few years back through some of the circles that I travel in with other uh, investors, real estate investors, is how we can buy off-market homes uh, in the United States off banks' balance sheet. So these are properties that uh, have been foreclosed on for various different reasons, and they go back to the banks, and the banks don't want them, so they offload them to private investors. And these are off-market deals, so it's not public information. And then it's not what you know, it's who you know. So we acquire these properties – cash we buy them and then what we do is uh we put families in there that want to live the american dream and have home ownership because a lot of people want to have that home ownership they want to have that stability they want to raise a family there they want to create experiences and so we earn double digit returns and um we help families and we do what we call philanthropy real estate investing so if people have an interest just reach out to me we can have a conversation about it offline and give you all the details information but uh yeah it's what we do we it's 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 passive. It's monthly recurring. Um, you know, there's benefits and drawbacks to it, and uh, you know, there's a whole due diligence process that we went through. It. It's not for everyone, but for somebody who likes to help people and make a difference, and likes to use real estate as a vehicle, single family homes, it's a great opportunity. But somebody who just wants to make money and not help people, this isn't the right match for somebody. But somebody who likes to help people, give people a second chance or a hand up, not a handout and make a difference, that's what we do. And so we do it all across the United States and all U.S. states and uh, been doing it now for about four years and uh, built up a, a significant real estate portfolio across the U.S. of single family homes and are helping a lot of families right now and uh, enjoying the process and having a lot of fun with it.
1: So if people wanted to invest in that, what's the typical investment amount and holding period for that?
2: Yeah, you'd wanna have a minimum of a hundred thousand U.S. dollars liquid cash. And, you know, you want to be – you're going to be tied up for, you know, three to five years, potentially even longer. But I would say, you know, three to five years uh, and then probably an exit from there. And then $100,000 liquid cash, that's one thing. Um, and I've got other opportunities. I'm, you know, I've got a very successful network and inner circle of people. So people are sitting on cash right now and they want to invest into stable things. You know, I, I I'm not a speculative investor. I like cash flow. I like monthly recurring revenue. And I'm all about protecting the downside in terms of risk mitigation and asset protection. Uh, I'm not a blue-sky thinker. I'm very conservative. I'm very risk-adverse. And I make sure that we do a deep dive of due diligence. Um, You know, there's three types of money in the world. There's calm money, cautious money, and nervous money. And I always like to have calm money, not cautious money or not nervous money. So I don't do any speculative stuff because I want to sleep really good at night, but I want to make sure I get paid every month and stuff. So whether it's philanthropy, real estate investing, or, you know, we're doing a bunch of accounting firm acquisitions right now as well, which is really quite boring, but good returns. And I'm involved with a bunch of other stuff right now that's quite boring, but very good returns. I like boring stuff, stuff that most people wouldn't get excited about because the boring stuff is consistent, it's stable, but it's also cash flow producing. And I learned from some of my billionaire mentors, you know, invest in the boring stuff that people overlook because people want the shiny objects or the stuff that gives them a dopamine fix. But, you know, there's higher risk for pro- portfolio there. I like to have low risk, high returns, but something stable and something that's consistent because I'm creating generational wealth. I'm, you know, I have a legacy plan for 250 years uh, through Link Foundation. So I'm looking at three generations out. So when I invest my money, I want to make sure that money comes back and multiplies, but also it's going to be around for many, many years to create a ripple impact for global philanthropy.
1: What what kind of returns, if people invest 100000 what kind of annual rents could they expect uh, from that kind of investment?
2: Well, again, I can't guarantee anything. I'll, I'll tell you just from my own experience, my own profit experience. I'm averaging 12 to 18% annual return. That's what I'm averaging in part of my portfolio. But that's me personally. Again, I can't make, make claims of somebody else, but it depends on the market what's going on. But what I'm doing consistently right now is 12 to
1: 18%. Okay, good. Um, also, you were knighted by the royal family of Spain. Tell me why you were knighted by the family of Spain.
2: Yeah, Um, so a few years ago, so I I travel a lot. I love traveling, it's a passion of mine. You know, I speak at a lot of conferences and conventions around the world. I speak at a lot of corporations and I attend a lot of charity events and charity dinners because I like to support charity events and, and make a difference. And so over the years of traveling, I've met a lot of people from all walks of life from all over the planet, been to 50 countries now on four continents. and so. I've met a number of people who, you know, have won Nobel Peace Prizes to Olympic athletes, to celebrities, to movie stars, to influencers. And I've also had a chance to meet a number of royal family members throughout the years all over the world in different countries and um, at different family office events. So um, I've met some people who've been knighted, uh, you know, as a sir, a lady, or a dame. And uh, so a couple of years ago, I received notification that I was nominated by two people in good standing that have already been knighted. And uh, my name has been put forward uh, to go through a nomination process. So I had an interview with them and I said, okay, let's look at this statistically. How many people right now are nominated? They said, well, there's over 400 people globally right now that have been nominated. We're going through the review process and the discovery process and the due diligence process. So I'm thinking, okay, great. Thanks so much for the nomination. I didn't think much of it, I just kind of blew it off, right? And then I also asked as part of the discovery process, how much money do I have to pay for this? Is this something I have to pay for this title? Or, you know, is this a pay to go kind of thing or a pay-to-play kind of model? Like, no, no, this is something that you earn. And so there's eight different categories, Jordan, and I don't have them in front of me, but I was chosen under two categories, global philanthropy and entrepreneurship. That was the two categories that I was uh, selected for in regards to uh, knighthood. And so um, I went through a series of interviews, background checks, social media audits, reference checks, police background checks, uh, you know, nationally, internationally, globally, uh, and all that and credit checks as well. And, um, as I started going through the discovery process, I realized, okay, I'm getting shortlisted here. I'm getting shortlisted. So it was a six month process from start to finish. And after the six month process, um, out of 400 plus people globally, uh, there was 24 people chosen for the world, 15 men and nine women. And, um, so we got knighted by the Royal Family of Spain, the Royal Order of Cappadocia. And so I'm legally now a Sir Darren Jackman. And people say, wow, that's interesting. Because if you look at Sir Richard Branson or Sir Elton John or Sir Paul McCartney, these men, for example, they're getting up there in their age. They're in their mid to late 70s now. And so I'm the next part of the next generation of men and women that are being knighted to the world. And so people always ask me now because I was pretty quiet when I got knighted. And I didn't want to say much about it. Didn't want to change my social media channels. Didn't want to tell many people. Didn't want to do any media interviews. I thought, you know what? I want to be humble about it and low profile about it, right? Low profile, high impact is how I like to live my life. And people came to you and they said, Darren, no, no, that would be a disservice to humanity. You want to put sir in front of everything that you do because that will inspire people to put it on their vision board and their goal list and their dream board because that's something they might want to aspire to down the road. And so I thought that, that'd that be great. That can create a ripple of impact with people. So, um, yeah, so I got officially knighted. And so I'm legally now a Sir Darren Jacklin. And uh, people say, do I have to always call you sir? My family or my immediate friends say, do I have to call you sir? I said, it's more of you don't have to. You know, I'm not attached to it. It's a title. Um, people say, what does it do for you? It gives you access and influence. It opens up a lot of doors for you. It gets you seats at different tables. It gets you to various different high-level conversations. And, again, I'm playing a big game in the world to contribute $100 million towards global philanthropy over the next decade through Link Foundation and Link Leadership Academy and through our E2E Elevate the Educate Hiking Fundraiser. So with that, it gives me a lot of access and influence and also gives a chance to inspire a lot of other people and hopefully make a difference in philanthropy and make a difference in people's lives. And uh, with this, I can help to alleviate poverty, uh, decrease human and child sex trafficking and organ harvesting, and really serve the next generation and make a positive difference and inspire a lot of people as well.
1: Very good. Uh, You also are part of the EXP uh, board. Tell us what EXP World Holdings is all about.
2: Yeah, so uh, back in 2009, a little company called EXP Real Estate uh, got started in Bellingham, Washington, USA by Glenn Sanford, the founder. And Glenn was a licensed real estate agent for a number of years. And he just realized that there needed to be a change in the real estate industry, residential real estate. And so he was the first one to eliminate bricks and mortar, uh, real estate. So kind of like if you look at Blockbuster Video and Netflix, um, you know, EXP Real Estate became the Netflix, while everybody else was the bricks and mortar Blockbuster Video. And so in 2013, I got invited to join the board of directors. we were still a small startup company, had a couple hundred people in the whole company. And today, EXP Realty, which is part of EXP World Holdings, it's a publicly traded company on NASDAQ under EXPI, EXPIs are trading similar NASDAQ. We're the fastest growing residential real estate company right now in the world. We're close to 90,000 agents in over 24 countries around the world. And um, we've changed a lot of people's lives uh, in our real estate model. And we're growing and scaling fast. And uh, it's, something, it's an incredible case study uh, that I recommend people do a bit of research and due diligence on in terms of real estate, uh, You know, from investing to being a real estate agent to learning more about how the business model works. It's a fascinating model to understand and study about what we've done and how we've eliminated the bricks-and-mortar real estate model. And, you know, during the global pandemic of COVID-19, we really accelerated because as people couldn't go to their bricks-and-mortar offices, we were already virtual and location-dependent. So um, I'm grateful to serve on the board of directors of EXP as well as I serve on a number of other paid boards of directors of public and private companies. But uh, EXP World Holdings is an incredible company. We have an incredible culture. And I'm very impressed and very inspired by our leadership. And uh, I like how we make a difference in people's lives every day. And it's a lot of fun. And so I've had a chance to go to NASDAQ not once, not twice, but three times now and ring the closing bell in New York City.
1: Very good. Okay. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin, very inspiring fellow. Uh, He's uh, on the board of EXP, as we, we described. He also has the Darren Jacklin Group of Companies. He also leads uh, hikes for philanthropy uh, under the website hikingfundraiser.com. And you can find out more at his website, darrenjacklin.com. We'll be back after this.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin, Sir Darren Jackson, actually. Uh, his website, DarrenJacklin.com. Uh, he runs uh, various philanthropies, helps businesses, helps businesses, is on the board of various businesses, runs something called Elevate to Educate. A lot of different things we've talked about. Welcome back to the show, Darren. Ah, Thanks so much for allowing me to be here. I wanted to get a little bit more into EXP. So how does it run as a virtual uh, real estate agency compared to uh, Caldwell Banker or Keller Williams, the traditional agency? What are the advantages of working with EXP over traditional uh, ones that have offices all over the place?
2: Yeah, great question. So we have a very unique culture at EXP Real Estate, um, and our culture consists of a lot of, uh, you know, training development. We offer many hours a week of training development, mentorship, and coaching. We acquired a company a few years ago called Verbella, which is a metaverse, which is known today, um, you know, publicly by a lot of people called the metaverse. And it's a virtual. When you first see it, it, looks like a kind of a virtual online video game where you have an avatar, but it's something that we've used for many years now. And we have a virtual campus in there, our EXP World, um, and we come in there. We do a lot of training development, and so we're very similar to other real estate companies that are traditional bricks and mortar franchise, but we're different by our culture, our training development, but also our unique value proposition in regards to our compensation plan and our business model. And uh, I always invite people if they're in the real estate industry now or they're interested in looking at the real estate industry to really you know do their due diligence, and do a comparison. Of, you know, as part of their market research, of how our business model is different than everybody else. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of copycat models out there, uh, similar to our model. And, uh, but, you know, we've been around since 2009 and, uh, we've got a very impressive track record of our, what we've accomplished since 2009 to current. And, um, it's a really quite model, but I invite people to do a deep dive into it to really understand it. And you can go to expworldholdings.com. That's expworldholdings.com. Um, or just go to Google and type in eXpi and hit search on the Google bar there, and it will take you right to eXp World Holdings. And you can do a little deeper dive on uh, what our business model is and um, what our offerings are as well. But we have eXp Realty, we have Verbella, and then a few years ago we did the acquisition of Success.com, Success Magazine, Success Coaching, and uh, people can learn more by going to Success.com of what we're doing there.
1: What is the advantage of a customer – looking to buy or sell a home for working with EXP compared to traditional realtors?
2: A great question. So I'm not a real estate agent, but I'll answer just, you know, it's the experience is a big thing, the experience. Um, you're getting a knowledgeable, uh, experienced real estate agent who's a licensed agent, uh, knowledgeable in the market, the industry. Um, and we're very competitive in that space as well. And, uh, you know, we our clients is our licensed agents and our brokers. We take very good care of them and so when you meet a real estate agent with exp you know it's that professionalism that customer service that integrity and doing what's right for the customer and making a difference and we're very competitive on our pricing as well
1: another thing you do is to help businesses uh, scale up their business uh with an advisory board explain how that works and what kind of businesses have you helped grow
2: yeah great question so i um As I said, I've had a chance to go to NASDAQ not once, not twice, but three times now to ring the closing bell in New York City. And that's a huge milestone achievement. You know, Most people never ever get there the first time uh, as a milestone to ring a closing bell at NASDAQ or an opening bell, and I've done it three times. Um, So currently I serve on multiple paid boards of directors and advisory boards of public and private companies. So right now I'm in the real estate space. I'm in the cybersecurity space. I'm in the artificial intelligence space. And I'm in the accounting and bookkeeping and tax planning space right now. Uh, But I also have a history and experience of 25 years as one of the top-rated corporate trainers in the world. I traveled; I used to travel 276 days a year globally over a course of 25 years to 50 countries on four continents. And I trained 157 of the Fortune 500 companies over that 25-year span with over a million people in my live events. So not only do I bring the history and experience of 25 years of corporate training in 50 countries – I bring my history and experience of serving on paid advisory boards, of public and private companies, and boards of directors, but then also be knighted in terms of having access and influence with that, and building a very impressive rolodex of a lot of people around the world. So, and I started my first business when I was seven years old, called Rent a Kid. You know, I cut grass, shoveled sidewalks, over newspapers at age seven. So, I don't have the formal PhD or MBA degrees, but i you know I'm financially independent today. I've made a lot of money in my life, um, so I, you know, I've got a good personal track record financially, I own a lot of real estate, I'm an investor in multiple different companies, and um, I'm just a results-driven person, but I have access to a lot of people that will return my phone calls and my texts and my emails when I reach out to them because I've built a reputation on integrity. And that's the key thing with me is, so um, I get invited a lot now to go into companies to help them grow and scale, and whether it's helping them build out their advisory board team or their board of directors team, or they need to raise capital, or they just want to get, you know, half million to a million or two to five million, or they want to go public. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know and who do you have access to today and who can, you know, be a seat at your table and, you know, whisper in your ear some things to really help you have that competitive or strategic advantage. So, you know, with EXP, for example, and building, you know, the fastest growing residential real estate company in the world as a team, I've learned a few things behind the scenes that, that work and, uh, you know, my corporate training background as well going into the largest corporations on the planet and working with them, you know, again, I have no formal education, but I'm the one that was, you know, I've been paid $40,000 in a day to go into corporate training plus first class travel expenses. So again, I don't have an MBA or PhD, but they wrote a check for 40 grand to pay me to come into the corporate training. So I'm, you know, it's pretty impressive that when a company writes a check for 40 grand U.S. to bring you in, um, obviously you're giving them a return on investment or they wouldn't write a check for 40,000 bucks. So, um, you know, but, but I love, I love doing this. I love, I love helping people succeed, and I I love, I really get inspired and have a lot of joy of seeing companies grow and scale. What is
1: typically blocking companies from reaching their potential or scaling up? What do you find is necessary to kind of get them past where they are now?
2: You know, a person's ego is a big thing, and especially if they've got founderitis or a founder, it's giving up that control of day-to-day operations. You know, they got to work on the business, not in the business. And the key thing is that when somebody founds a company, you know, they've got a lot of invested interest and skin in the game and reputational risk and somewhat ego as well. And they, as that company grows, they don't want to lose control. So I always share with people you delegate responsibility of day to day operations through structures, systems, and processes and strategies but you maintain the control. You're the decision maker. And then getting out of the way and let other people come up. Like, you know, I'm 50 years of age now and I lean into a lot of, like you know, I go hiking pretty well every day of my life. You know, this morning, I was hiking at five o'clock this morning and I was hiking with two 21-year-olds that got businesses going on. They're 21. You know, we're, we're 30 years difference in, in age group. But the cool thing was I learned from them from their generation and they learned from me from my history and experience and wisdom from my years of experience. So the key thing is just getting out of the way and the key thing is, is most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. It's all about creating successful teams and teamwork and having the right people around you to help mitigate risks and liabilities. But also, too, we all have blind spots. And that's the key thing, is I always share with people when I was doing corporate training or I'm involved in advisory or corporate training work today, I always say, you're doing 95% of the things right. So the 95-5 principle, you're doing 95% of the things right, but that 5%, can create a tremendous amount of risk to you. It can create a lawsuit or a class action lawsuit. So, wouldn't you like to build a team of people around you that are an advisory team that can lean into your ear and see things that you don't see as a blind spot to help you create and mitigate risk and liability for asset protection and risk mitigation? And so, you know, I've saved people millions and millions of dollars by just. You know, making one phone call or making a move or delaying something because, you know, they want to move too quick. As, as visionaries of a company, people always want to move very quick, but they don't realize you don't have the right structures and systems and processes in place and the right strong foundation, the right people on the team. You can create some big mistakes that can become really financially costly for you.
1: So you're saying that it comes down to ego. People say, I know what's right, I'm going to do it my way, and they don't hear the the warning signs of what could go wrong. Is that what you're saying?
2: For sure, yeah. Ego plays a big part in it. And because the thing is that people, they're involved in their work and their day-to-day operations all the time. They're in the trenches. And people are like, why would I bring somebody in as an advisor when they don't work in my business every day? They don't know my industry. They don't know my client or my customer. But the thing is, at the end of the day, we're in the people business. We're dealing with human beings. No matter if you're in Australia, you're in Canada, the United States, you're in Singapore, you're in Dubai, no matter where you are, you're dealing with human beings at the end of the day. And the key thing is to understand people. And as you grow and scale, you know, it's about structure, systems, and processes, and then metrics and KPIs and how you build that infrastructure. And then you bring on people based on their personality styles, their history, their experience, and their skill sets and what they can offer to the company or organization. So there's a whole ingredients that you bring in to grow and scale a company. When you get the right ingredients, you can really do great things over a few years. It's amazing the momentum and growth that you can do with the right people on the right team going in the right direction. You don't have to give me the name of the company,
1: but why don't you give me an example of a company that you did that and how it accelerated their growth and success.
2: Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'll give you an example of a company that was under uh, major scrutiny by the mass media. In fact, I won't mention the name, but uh, if I mention the name, most people who watch the daily news would know about it. This company was under a lot of scrutiny uh, with the public. They made a couple of mistakes. And they didn't take ownership and accountability in regards to the ripple of impact of how it impacted the consumer. And, um, you know, they weren't responding to, uh, you know, toll-free numbers of the inquiries. They weren't responding to the online uh, people that were complaining on customer service. So the key thing is I went in there and we looked at, okay, what's the impact here by the decisions that we're making? And, you know, why are these customers, these people that are using their hard-earned financial dollars to buy your product or your service, they're upset right now. And they're vocalizing online, on the Internet, on social media, and on these different forums and consumer groups. And so when they really got present to what the ripple of impact was, they realized how they needed to change the culture and how they were running things day-to-day in the organization. I helped an airline a number of years ago that on time, um, on departures, there were late 17 minutes on average of delayed things. Now, we all know people on this call who've ever been at an airport, and your flight's delayed, and you've got to be someplace for a business meeting or a wedding or a funeral or some important business or family meeting, the impact on that. So, I was actually a guest speaker one time at a big event, a big real estate, or probably a big airline conference in a big uh, stadium. And I actually, when they introduced me to come out on stage, I went and hid in the tunnel backstage, and they couldn't find me. And they didn't know what to do. There was no plan B, and they're, they're calling my name and so I just delayed, delayed, delayed. And then I walked out on stage and I pointed my watch 17 minutes, 17 minutes. How does it feel right now? How many are sweating bullets right now? How many are you upset? How many are frustrated? How many want to walk out of the room? Well, this is how you're treating your customers who fly on your airline every day. How does it feel to be in their seat right now? What is this experience like? And because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people backstage that were bringing me on that were embarrassed. And the human resources department were quite upset with me. But they got the lesson because I wanted to feel, have them feel and experience of discomfort, the upsetness, the betrayal, all those experiences that the customer feels every day through an experiential process. And that's the key thing is let them feel the pain of what people go through. So when I go in um, to some of these corporations where I serve on advisory boards, it, sometimes it's tough love. It's an uncomfortable conversation that people don't want to have, but at least I'm authentic, I'm straight up, I'm vulnerable, but I put all the cards on the table and people are like, thank you so much for, for being blunt with me and calling a spade a spade because I never realized that if you wouldn't have been that way. You know, and, and that's what you got to do sometimes. It's, you got to, you know, I always say sometimes you got to be a three-dimensional man. Sometimes you're Gandhi, right? Everybody likes you. You're the peacekeeper who wants to give you a hug. Sometimes you're curly, right? You're like Jim Carrey, funny, goofy. And sometimes you got to be Clint, which is Clean Eastwood. You got to go ahead and make somebody's day and be blunt and straight and have a really uncomfortable conversation with people. And sometimes People need to check up to the next up. They need that reality check to realize that what they're doing is going the wrong direction. The way they're treating their people in their organization, they're going to they're cause a lot of attrition, a lot of people to leave because yeah. people today are using the internet. People today can find jobs much different today from their keyboard of a computer, right? There's a lot of opportunities out there uh, internationally and around the world. And so to attract and retain good employees today it's a different skill set and a different strategy than it used to be. The game is changing. if you don't adapt to the game, you're going to lose a lot of people.
1: Yeah, interesting. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin. Uh, his website is DarrenJacklin.com. You can see all the different things he's involved in. Uh, you can also find out more about his hiking uh, philanthropy group at HikingFundraiser.com. And
3: we'll be back after this
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Darren Jacklin. Sir Darren Jacklin, actually, he was knighted by the Royal Family of Spain. Uh, he's involved in real estate and helping other companies grow. Uh, And you can find out more at his website, darrenjacklin.com. Welcome back to the show, Darren. Grateful to be here, Jordan. So one area you're particularly interested in is youth and youth entrepreneurship, getting younger people started as entrepreneurs. How do you do that?
2: Well, the key thing is, is to solve a problem. So when I go speak at a lot of youth events or schools or college universities, I always ask the youth, uh, open up your mobile phone right now and just, just look at the news feeds for today in the last, you know, 6, 8, 12, 24 hours. And as they're looking through CNN or scrolling different social media channels or different news media channels, they look at all these things. I said, how many in this room would like to make a lot of money? How many like to help a lot of people? How many like to make a difference? Then the key thing is, 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 is this is like God's to do list. This is solving problems. Entrepreneurship is solving problems. You get paid to solve people's problems. Just like a dentist, just like a doctor, just like a chiropractor, just like a plumber, just like an electrician. They are solving problems every day for their clients or customers. So entrepreneurship is really about solving problems. And so we don't have money problems in life. We only have thinking problems. There's no lack of financial capital in this world. In fact, some of my friends have money problems every day. They make so much money in a month, passive recurring monthly revenue, through all their different revenue streams that they don't know where to allocate and deploy their capital. So when people say to me, oh, I've got money problems, I'm like, okay, you don't have enough money or you got too much money? Because and so the thing is, if you want to make more money, it's about how you turn a crisis into an opportunity. So the key thing is, so when I was flat broke financially, and i always share this with you. I used to, I went and got a bucket and a squeegee, and I went around to affluent neighborhoods and I went and knocked on doors and I cleaned their windows. I went and raked leaves. I went and mowed the lawns, even when I didn't have a lawnmower. I went and painted fences. I went and did landscape work, and I looked around at who's got my money today, and how can I solve a problem and serve people. So whether you're washing cars, you're pet sitting, you're dog walking, all you're doing is solving a problem. I call them as opportunity zones. So when you're driving around or you're looking around, just look in your own neighborhood. And what I always say to people is, what's the fastest path to cash? So if you look at most people in their apartment or their home or their condo, they've got stuff sitting around. You might have an old lawnmower. You may have a, a wakeboard. You may have a soccer ball. You may have a golf golf equipment. You may have a bunch of shoes or purses or handbags. Well, guess what? You could have a yard sale. You could gift it to Goodwill. You could sell it online on Marketplace on Facebook. There's so many different ways that you can generate immediate cash in 24 to 48 hours. Nothing. What I do is I, I, I play games with the youth experientially. Where it's okay, great. What, what's something you'd like right now? Somebody says, "Well, I need a thousand U.S. dollars." Okay, great. For what? They're like, "Well, I need to I need to pay for school tuition." Okay, great. So then we create a, a target is a thousand U.S. dollars. And then we have a by-when, so it's specific, it's measurable, and it's actionable, a by-when date. And then what we do is we create a structure by unfolding the structure of what we're going to do. And we reverse engineer it backwards. So we imagine today's date, that we already achieved this milestone or target. And then we ask, what did we do as we unfold this to achieve this? So we play this game where we speculate. We, we just write down, what did, what did we do to achieve this goal? And so we unfold the goal, and then people realize, wow. And I learned this many years ago by reading a book by Dr. Stephen Covey. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And habit number seven is to begin with the end in mind. So you want to always begin with the end in mind is imagine what's your target and then work backwards from there. So always remember, we do not have money problems in life, only thinking problems in life. And the fastest way to generate money or create opportunities, and by the way, the average millionaire in North America has seven income revenue streams whether they're active or passive streams, the average millionaire has seven revenue streams, okay? And the key thing is, is you want to have multiple streams of income because we saw this during global pandemic of COVID-19, people who are trading time for money, who had that job or even that job security, they realized that there was risk now because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting furloughed. I'm getting laid off. I've got all my eggs in one basket. So the key thing is, is find somebody that you have as a hobby. Like for me, I love hiking. Now I raise money for Link Foundation, and we build school for some of the most impoverished people on the planet. Why? People have to come out hiking. They don't mind paying a small registration fee. We get corporate sponsorship, and we collect those financial dollars. People get a tax receipt. The money goes to the foundation. It's all reported. It's audited. It's, it's verified. And then we serve people. So what do we do? We turn a hiking opportunity into a fundraising opportunity that now solves a problem for some of the poorest people on the planet. So again, we don't have money problems, like only thinking problems, but also a big thing is your environment, because your environment is stronger than your willpower. I used to hang out with, with four financially broke friends. I was the fifth. When I changed my environment, I changed my friends, I changed my bank account. So I always share with people, whether it's the youth or the titles, if you want to make more money, just find opportunity zones Avoid a way to turn crazies into opportunities. So when you watch the news media or you read about the news media, don't get depressed. Say, Wow. These are blessings in disguise. These are ways to be of service and solve problems and have fair means of exchange and be paid handsomely for what we're doing here. Another thing is, for example, I, I love traveling, Jordan. So for many years, I'm like, gosh, I want to travel around the world and do what I love and love what I do. So I wrote down in my journal every day, I, Darren Jacqueline, get paid handsomely to travel the world and do what I love and love what I do. I, Darren, Jacqueline, get paid has to travel the world Do I love and love what I do. And I would say that over and over and over again, every single day, many times a day, while I'm driving, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm shaving. And today I've been to 50 countries. I've traveled the world multiple times. Um, I used to travel close to 300 days a calendar year, and I didn't pay for any of it. I had corporations and organizations and universities and colleges and businesses all over the world pay for my travel. And I've stayed in some of the finest hotels in the world and penthouse suites. I've been to private islands. I've flown first class, I've flown private jets, I've done all this stuff. I've been on yachts, I've been on super yachts, all that stuff, and I haven't paid for it. Because I, I, every day I wrote down, I get paid handsomely to travel the world, do I love and love what I do? And I just look for opportunity zones. So when somebody says, hey, Darren, I want to go to Australia, people say, yeah, i got to save up money or i got to cash in my air mouth. I'm like, how can you get paid to go to Australia? How can yeah. you get paid to go to Singapore? How can you get paid to go to school? I have some friends of mine right now that are in school, they're kids and they go to university and college and they've got a lot of student loan debt. I'm like, great. How can you get paid to go to college university? Like, what do you mean? Well, in the evenings and weekends, could you tutor and mentor other students and create a little mastermind club, either in person or online charge a small fee so they can afford to pay for it. So it's fair. exchange. You collect the financial dollars and that helps offset your financial debt or it gives you drinking money. If you're drinking over the weekends or having fun. So there's always ways to turn a crisis into an opportunity by solving a problem.
1: We have about two minutes left. Why don't you kind of summarize what difference it would make in people's lives to follow some of the things we talked about as compared to what they normally do?
2: Well, the key thing is, is it's, it's a network of conversations, and it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the key thing is it's a knowledge transfer of information. And so I always say hang out with people who are much older than you for their wisdom and hang out with younger people for their energy. So I get around people uh, who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s for their wisdom and their history and experience. And I get around the young teenagers and people in their 20s and 30s for their energy. And, you know, we hear today that, you know, knowledge is power. It's not true. Knowledge is only potential power. What gives you true power is taking action, consistent action. And the thing is, is that how in life, if you really, really want something in your life, because most people don't know what they really want, it comes down to making requests. Because when you make a request to somebody else, people will do one of three things. Step number one is they'll accept the request. Step number two is they'll decline the request. And step number three is they'll counteroffer the request. And I talk more about that in my book and give more specific information until I become the book. But really it's about making requests. If you look at my life since I was seven years old, I've made a lot of requests in my life. Sometimes powerful requests, unreasonable requests, outrageous requests, but I'm a request-making machine. And by making lots of requests, I've created lots of opportunities because we're a network of conversations. But also remember this, opportunities live inside of conversations. So have yep. conversations with lots of people because inside of that, we'll create opportunities.
1: Very good. And well, we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Darren Jacklin, Sir Darren Jacklin. Uh, he runs the hikingfundraiser.com website to help raise money for uh, schools Uh, He runs a a real estate company called EXP World Holdings. He uh, negotiates with companies. He does all kinds of amazing things that we learned about in the last hour. You can find out more at darrenjacklin.com and also hikingfundraiser.com. Thanks so much, Darren. We've learned an awful lot during the last hour.
2: I'm grateful to be here and make a difference. Thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Thanks again, Darren. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answers Show. Goodbye for now.